before I get into today's message to make a declaration and I want you to uh, listen carefully. It might be something that you want to uh, make and begin to say or something similar in your own life. I believe that faith in God and His Word will make anything that the Word says is mine come into reality. The Spirit of God who lives inside me always responds to confirm God's word. You and I will never have a problem that faith in God cannot overcome. Isn't that good to know? Let's bow in prayer together. Father, we're grateful and thankful for the privilege this morning of worship. We could leave now, Lord, and already have been so blessed just to be in your presence, most of all, and to be in the presence of such a wonderful group of people with like precious faith, like-minded to magnify and lift up Jesus' name. We just ask you this morning, Father, that you would help us to hear what we need to hear. I ask for utterance in the Holy Ghost, for boldness and anointing to preach and declare, to teach your word with simplicity. And we thank you for what it will produce in our lives. And we honor you and give you all the glory for it. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Just a word about Wednesdays. We are teaching about divine healing. And we've been doing that now for a number of weeks. And I would encourage you to be with us if you can. And also, if you can't, to listen. And uh, all that's recorded. It's on the app. It's on the website. You can get it. It's on YouTube. All these different outlets that we use to publish the word. Uh, Please take advantage of one of them. And stay caught up with what we're doing. We're currently going through uh, as kind of the conclusion, I guess, of this series. We've been on for a number of weeks. Uh, We're going through our healing uh, scriptures card. I don't have it up here on the pulpit with me, but they're out there on the on the desk in the uh, in the foyer. You can pick up one, and uh, we're just going through those scriptures. Those are scriptures I use every day. Those are scriptures that Glenn and I have used for so many years that uh, I've memorized them. I mean, it, I'm not, I don't have the best memory in all the world. But if you say something, and that's the key, saying, if you say something enough, then eventually it will register inside of you and become a part of you. And so we are having a great time going through those. And I don't know because it's not my uh, thing to plan. I'm not the head of the church. I'm just a pastor. I'm just a messenger guy. But, um, but as the Lord leads, we lay hands on people, we minister to people, and that's true in any service as far as that goes, but especially in these Wednesday services. Uh, I don't know if this Wednesday, you know, all that we're going to do, but uh, I do know it's going to be good, and if, if the Holy Spirit moves in some special way, you don't want to miss that. Amen. Amen. All right. My message today, the title of it would be Hope glory, and greatness. Hope, glory, and greatness. Now, at first, this may sound like a title for a motivational talk, but that's not what this is about. I'm not trying to appeal to your ego. I'm not trying to appeal to anybody's vanity or or anything like that. These three words, the words hope, glory, and greatness, are used in the passage that we're getting ready to read in Ephesians chapter 1. And these reference things from God. 
And we're going to draw from the inspired prayer of Paul. You know this was an inspired prayer because he prayed it and the Holy Ghost told him to write it down. So this is an inspired prayer of Paul in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. And we're going to pull from this and talk about these things with the aim of moving us spiritually to a higher and better place in God. I'm not just trying to appeal to your emotions or even to just your intellect. But I really want to speak the word of God today under the anointing so that our spirit man is touched. And so let's read beginning with verse 15 down through verse 23 of Ephesians chapter 1 where Paul says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought or worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Here, the Apostle Paul gives us a glimpse into his personal prayer life. And since he's one of the main characters of the New Testament after Jesus had ascended to the Father, it's something that I'm interested in. How did this great man of God, this great apostle, how did he pray? And what did he pray for? So we get to see a little glimpse of his communication with God. And particularly here, we see how Paul prayed for believers. I'm sure you understand that. It's not just the lost who need prayer. It's not just the backslidden who need prayer. But believers need prayer. You and I need prayer. And we get a glimpse into what, how he prayed and what he prayed for believers when we read a passage like this. And I think it's very interesting that Paul did not dwell on individual needs or problems. <clears throat> now I'm sure that he prayed for people individually. I'm sure that probably requests came to him for individual situations that he would have been ready to pray for. So I don't doubt that at all. But when he speaks to us, speaks to the church, the Holy Spirit has him to write down about his prayer life, he doesn't dwell on individual needs or problems. You know, it's easy to focus on those kind of things individual needs and problems, get bogged down with all the jargon, 
all the medical terminology, all the reports from the doctors, the prognosis, uh, or, you know, what the lawyer said, what, what uh, you know, this said or that said, and all the other things that go along with it. It's really easy to focus on those things and miss the real power to change those things. Sometimes if we're not careful, we will deal with symptoms instead of the cause. You know, if someone has terminal cancer and the doctor says you have a month to live, well, you might give them some strong painkillers if they're in a lot of pain, but the painkiller doesn't cure the cancer. They need more than temporary relief. They need something that can turn this whole thing around. Well, that's the way we have to view prayer in so many cases, is that we're not just trying to deal with symptoms, but that we actually focus on the foundational ingredient of change. Now, one of the things that can happen if we're not careful is that we will depend on people that we think have a great prayer life, people that have some testimonies about their successes in prayer, and all that's good. But what the problem with that many times is, is that people become dependent on somebody else to pray them out of trouble. To pray and get this for them, to get that for them, or to stop this or stop that. And as I said, it's, it's good, the Bible teaches us to pray one for the other. But I must tell you the truth as your pastor today, there will be situations in all our lives that nobody else can pray us out of or fix through their prayers You and I will have to learn to believe God, and we'll have to learn to pray, and we'll have to touch heaven. And that's not uh, some kind of a punishment that I'm speaking upon you. That's not a curse that I'm speaking on you. That actually is a blessing, because there are going to be times in all of our lives when, when we can't get a hold of somebody, when somebody we may have lots of confidence in is not available, and they may not can come. And they may not be available to lay hands on us. And we may take great comfort in their voice as they bind and loose and speak scripture. But that voice isn't present and it's not available. You need to be that voice. You need to be that voice for you and thereby become that voice for somebody else. So that when it is appropriate, you can help somebody else out. So how did uh, Paul, what did Paul pray for that would put believers like you and me into this place where we become productive. We are dependent on God, of course, but not necessarily dependent on other people to pray us into the place where we need to be. Well, it's interesting that what he said here was the thing he prayed for these people was that they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. Notice he didn't say, I'm praying for you that you'll get a million dollars. Or I'm praying for you that you'll feel like, as the old saying back in the hills was, like going bear hunting with a switch. You know, you're very confident. And you're in good shape when you can go bear hunting with a switch. No, he didn't, he didn't pray anything like that. He said, I want you to get your eyes open to some things. Now, I mean, that just sounds... I mean, you could almost get disappointed, couldn't you? You're thinking, I mean, if anybody was a great prayer, prayer, it had to be Paul. And Paul, I don't want you to pray for me to see stuff. I want you to pray me into the next level. 
I want you to pray and everything gets fixed. But that's not what he said. He said, I want you to have this foundational ingredient of change, and that is revelation knowledge. What is this? Well, it's the spirit of wisdom and revelation, as we've already read, in the knowledge of God. It is a distinct work of the Holy Spirit, revealing first to our spirit, then illuminating our mind to the meaning of what God has said to us through His Word. That's revelation knowledge. I'm going to say that again because that's too important to miss. The spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God is a distinct work of the Holy Spirit, revealing first to our spirit, then illuminating our mind to the meaning of what God has said to us through His Word. This process is how the Word to us becomes the Word in us, and then becomes the Word working through us. Now that's worth repeating as well. The Word to you becomes the Word in you, and then the Word in you becomes the Word that works through you. So you see a process. Now when, when things are fixed immediately by supernatural power, without, as it were, much of a process. We call that a miracle. And we believe in miracles. Thank God for miracles. But for most of us, as believers, for most of our lives, our problems are not going to be solved just by a miracle that we have very little to do with. But most of our problems get solved and needs get met as we work the process that is found in the Word of God. Such things as sowing and reaping, the power of confession, uh, the power of love and forgiveness, the power of giving and all that. Well, you know, uh, part of that process of getting needs met involves learning, growing, receiving revelation and insight into the things of the Word. You see, there's more in this Word than any of us have ever seen. I've been saved over 55 years of my life, and I'm still learning from the same book that I started reading over 55 years ago. We will not, in this lifetime, if we live to be 200, we will not expend and see all there is to see from the Scriptures. The Word of God, and you, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but I want you to understand the concept... The Word of God is pregnant. It's divine seed germinating and growing. The Word is pregnant always giving birth to new facets of revelation and insight into who God is, what He does, what He has, and also who you are in Him and what you have in Him and what you can do in Him. So the Word that comes to us has to become the word in us and then it becomes the word working through us and that is the process of revelation knowledge that Paul was referring to here now one of the great keys to this and this is not really my my main topic for the message today but I've got to mention this one of the keys to this process is called meditation meditation 
Meditation's been hijacked by the mystics, Eastern religions. Uh, you know, it doesn't have a good connotation in many circles. And I think because of a lot of that, I mean, this is my theory, I could be wrong, of course, but I think a lot of good Christian people, and especially Christian ministers, they probably avoided the word meditation and haven't talked much about it because they didn't want to get camped into a group of weirdos, nuts, you know, uh, granola people, flakes and nuts and you know, all of that. They didn't want to get there. But meditation is not the devil's idea. And you know, we support missions in India. Glenn and I were in India earlier this year. So I'm, this is not a slam against the Indian nation. But, but meditation didn't come out of India. It came from God. It came from the Word of God. And uh, as I said, we can't take all day with it, but, but to meditation, medit- I'm sorry, meditation has to do with focusing. That's one of the best modern day words I can use to describe meditation. It is to focus on the Word of God. And to focus until you are in the Scripture and the Scripture is in you. I'll say that again. You focus on Scripture, you, you think about it, and the word actually means in the Old Testament, the original uh, meaning was to, uh, to ponder. It even has to do with muttering as to oneself. In other words, talking to yourself. You know, sometimes that's the only way to have an intelligent conversation. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but, to, but to speak to yourself, to speak to yourself, the scripture, and to do so with focus on it and to the point where you see from God's perspective. That's always the ultimate aim of meditation is to bring us to a place where we see whatever it is we're looking at in the Bible or whatever concept, whatever truth, whatever principle that's in the word, we see it like God sees it. And God has a vantage point and a viewpoint that no human has. You know, just think about this. Right now we can see uh, in these four walls. If you were up here, you could see out those doors. You can see a little, you know, a little ways there. But our, our sight is limited. If we go outside, it gets expanded. We can see into the horizon. But you know, if you go 35,000 feet up in the air in, a, in an airplane you have a totally different, expanded view. It's the same area you're looking at, but it's a whole different vantage point. Now, if you think about that same kind of principle, think about God in heaven, how he sees things. And also, when you study the New Testament, and I'm sure this is part of what Paul was really trying to get the Ephesian believers to see and to to grasp, was that when you begin to see yourself from God's vantage point, then guess what? There are no more pity parties. There is no more fear binding you and holding you in bondage. There's no more plans for lack, and there are no plans for living sickness and disease, in pain, and all the rest, you will see yourself differently. No, we're not going to stay here on the earth forever. 
We're going to need a new earth, and we're going to need a new body. And, and you know, I know that's coming, and, and I look forward to it. I'm, you know, I don't have to have it today, but, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. And uh, believe me, I'll have hair. <laughs> I may have to reintroduce myself to you. There'll be no wrinkles. It's just going to be great. But until that time comes, I am content to stay where God wants me to stay and do what he wants me to do. But I'm not content to do it without his power. I'm not content to try to do this in the flesh. I am not content to have just boring, dead, dry Christianity. I want to walk in the things of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. And see, that's really where Paul's going with this. The spiritual insight, the spiritual information that comes. So I would encourage you to pray this prayer for yourself every day. I pray this for you every day. But that's just part of the equation. You need to pick it up and you need to pray this for yourself every day. Maybe you have a loved one that's kind of nonchalant about spiritual things. Maybe they're backslidden. Or maybe they're, they're faithful to the house of God, but they just absolutely do not see some very basic truths that you know would change their life. Maybe they don't see that they need to be filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues. Maybe they don't believe that divine healing is an available blessing for today through the redemption. Maybe they don't believe that when they sow seed, whether it's the seed of words or the seed of deeds or the seed of, of money and material things, maybe they don't understand and see that there is a harvest that is rightfully theirs and they need to learn how to believe it in and to claim it and so forth and to, to reap their harvest. Maybe they don't see a lot of things that you know and have changed your life. Well, you pray this kind of prayer for them. You, you can't necessarily beat them over the head about it. And it does absolutely no good to get in arguments with people. Just pray. They can't stop you from doing that, can they? And you don't even have to tell them you're praying. Because that may make them matter never. Because, you know, some people think if you would say that, well, you're trying to, you're, like you're saying, they're not spiritual and, you know, that they don't really, they're not really committed. That's not what we're saying. We're just saying, you need your eyes opened. You know, like the little boy that had the, had the puppies for sale. He had a bunch of little puppies, you know. Well, actually, he was trying to give them away. And he had his puppies out by the sidewalk and had them in a little box, little cute puppies. And he had a little sign that he made that said, Baptist puppies free. <laughs> Well, a few days later, same people in the neighborhood walked by and it said, Pentecostal puppies, free. They said, well, I thought these were Baptist puppies. He said, oh, now their eyes are open. <laughs> and so, so, <laughs> I was born again a Baptist, baptized a Baptist. I'm Baptist plus. <laughs> but thank God my eyes are open. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's just like you know, you can go to Wendy's and eat Baptist chili. Or you can get really good chili and it's Pentecostal chili. Amen. 
Forgive me. I'm sorry if I made you mad. I repent. I'm going too far. Let's look at these three words. We won't take a half an hour with each one, I promise you. Hope, glory, and greatness. Where do we find the word hope here? Well, we find it in verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Hope is potential. Hope is expectation. Hope is anticipation. Hope is the goal. Hope is that which can be done or that which can be had. I have no hope of having a baby next spring. I have no hope of going to Mars tomorrow. There are certain things that are not possible. You cannot have hope for that which is not possible. Bible hope only comes by believing God for what He says is possible. Now God does have more possibilities than the natural. But my point is, it's got to all be within the framework of the Word of God. We studied a few weeks ago about Abraham and talking about the law of faith and how that he, against natural hope, believed in supernatural hope and received the promise of God. So there is a potential for your life, every one of you. There is an expectation that God has and in your life for what you can do, what he knows that you can do. And if you grab hold of it properly, you will have an anticipation for that thing. It will become your goal, that which can be done, that which can be had. This is not just a wish. But the New Living Translation calls it a confident hope. And this is based on God's call upon our life. It's based on His purpose and His plan. You may have a wish to be a multimillionaire. And you may have figured out how you would like for that to happen. But have you checked in with God? What's His plan? What's His purpose? God's not against you getting wealth, and God's not against you being blessed, but God wants every one of us to follow what is His plan and His purpose for our life. This is one of the most important questions you'll ever answer. And, and trust me on this, you can't look to other people to answer it. Other people may confirm, even through spiritual gifts, they may confirm things that God has led you to do or spoken to you about and that's all scriptural we believe in that and we thank God for it but the initial act if you will of finding out what God's plan is for your life is your responsibility alone we don't go into ministry because our mama thinks we would make a good preacher we don't go into business because our uh, instructors and counselors at school tell us that we're just a natural for that field. We don't do anything just because other people think that's what we ought to do. We need to be certain. And why? Well, there's a number of reasons. But one reason is because life's not easy. I don't care what you attempt to do. And it may be what you would consider one of the highest callings of a human being to have. I guarantee you the devil is going to try to keep you from your purpose and from God's plan. And it's not going to be without a fight. It's not going to be without a struggle to some degree in some area. It's, it's, there's going to be opposition. The devil is not going to want you blessed because when you're blessed, you're a walking billboard for the goodness of God. When you're blessed, people want to know what do you do and how do you do it. 
When you're blessed, people want to ask questions and they want to know more about the choices you've made in life. And of course, when that happens, we don't take the credit. We give all the glory to God. But we do understand that had we not chosen to obey God, if we had not chosen to follow God, our life would be vastly different and not nearly as good. And so the hope of his calling, Paul said to these believers, and he says to us today, you need to see from God's perspective what your calling is. The Message Bible says that you can see exactly what it is he is calling you to do. That's pretty plain. Hope is the goal that faith puts a plan of action to. Hope is the goal that faith puts a plan of action to so that it becomes a reality in the natural dimension. One of the most sad things you will ever encounter is a human being without hope. True hope only comes from God. Second word, the word glory. It goes on to say, uh, it said, well, let's go ahead back up and read uh, verse 18 again. Reread it and move on. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Our inheritance is glorious. If you leave an inheritance, then those who are going to receive it don't get it until you leave. I mean, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, but I do want you to think this through with me. An inheritance is something that you receive when somebody else has died. Isn't that right? This says we have an inheritance. Paul said, I want you to see, and I'm praying that you would see what is the, what is the, uh, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. The riches of the glory of his inheritance. And so what's happened? Well, Jesus died. We became his heirs. And the really good thing is, he rose from the dead and is now the executor of his own estate. Nobody can cheat you out of what's yours. Nobody else is going to get more than they're supposed to get. And you're going to get everything that you're supposed to get. You can count on it. Our inheritance is glorious. If you think Christianity is just a hard old way, I remember a song. I'm thinking of a song. Lord, I've been a hard-working pilgrim all the way. Now my feet are getting weary. You know, I mean, it's just that, that whole idea of Christianity. I grew up in that to a great degree. People would even, in a lot of those old songs, we'd call them tear-jerking songs. They'd get out their handkerchief and they'd cry. And they thought they were getting blessed. They were being emotionally moved because they identified with the sadness. They identified with the struggle. They identified with that. Well, you know, I said a while ago, there's going to be some struggles. There's going to be some tests. But I identify with a victor. I like to identify with people like David, who ran at the giant with his mouth open, talking trash to the biggest man in the whole world to him at that moment. 
He went into an impossible situation and he knew that God would come through. The God that had helped him kill the bear, the God that helped him kill the lion, the God that had done all of this for him in his past was the God that was going to deliver Goliath into his hands and supernaturally, miraculously, you know it happened. And that's why we celebrate David today on that great battle that day on the, uh, we know over Goliath. We don't celebrate Saul's victory. We don't celebrate David's brother's victory. We don't, sell any, uh, we don't celebrate any of the cowards of the army of that day. We celebrate David. Why? Because he slew the giant. I want you to know you've got giant slaying power on the inside of you. You've got the potential. You've got the Holy Ghost DNA in your spirit, man, to be a slayer of the giant. Don't ever run in your giant with your mouth closed. Always go before the devil and let him know that you know who he is. And you know who you are. And that means he's under your feet. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That's the kind of revelation Paul wanted us to see. We have a glorious inheritance. That word uh, glorious, that word, the word glory is the uh, Greek word doxa. It means dignity, honor, glory, or glorious. And it means praise. Some synonyms of the word is the word grand. I like that word, don't you? Grand, magnificent, majestic. Our inheritance in Christ, that which he has died in order that we could have now. Not just when you get to heaven, by the way. Heaven's great, but heaven will take care of itself. There are no problems there. Nobody goes into heaven and say, well, I thought it'd be nicer than this. <laughs> Nobody. You know, have you ever went and, you know, to a hotel and you thought, well, I'm paying a pretty good price. You know, maybe you got your hopes built up for a nice vacation. And you went and you thought, is this it? I hope you haven't, but if you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Nobody goes to heaven and says that. Nobody has that attitude. Heaven's fine, but I, we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to start receiving our inheritance. It's ours now. This is what belongs to us now because we are in him and he is in us. It's about living on earth as a covenant person. Possessing our inheritance is essential to fulfilling our call. Remember a while ago we were talking about the hope of our calling? Well, you'll never fulfill your calling unless you begin to possess your inheritance. We have a grand inheritance. We have a magnificent inheritance. A majestic inheritance. You might say, well, you know, I don't know about all that you know, it sounds like a lot of bless me stuff and all of that, you know. Uh, well, you know, I've already acknowledged there's going to be some struggles and trials. David had struggles. He had to fight Goliath. I'm sure it was not fun marching out there. I'm sure talking all that trash, I'm sure in his mind there was a battle going on because he's a human being just like we are. I'm sure the devil tried to say to him, I wonder if it'll work this time. Or worse, what if it doesn't work? But you know, David had the attitude of, it's going to, and what are you going to do about it? And that's what you've got to start telling the devil. The word works. What are you going to do about it? The question isn't about what am I going to do. I'm going to do the word. Devil, what are you going to do? Where are you going to stay under my feet where you belong? And the wicked one touches me not. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
The last word, greatness. And what is the exceeding, verse 19, greatness of his power to usward who believe. And then he goes on to, to point out it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The word greatness here is the Greek word megathos. It means magnitude. It, it, you know, it is, uh, the Amplified words it this way. Immeasurable, unlimited, and surpassing greatness. I want to read that again. I like that. Immeasurable, unlimited, and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us. Paul said, I want you to understand that's the kind of power in you. Now you look in the mirror, it might not look like it. We talk to your mother-in-law, she may not think so. We, you know, I don't know what's going on with anybody else, but when God sees you, he sees you with a megathos of power on the inside. He sees you with an inheritance that you can't even count. It's so big. He sees you with a call that is so hopeful and so powerful that it will end up making you not even look like yourself. Amen. Amen. That's how God sees you as a believer. Not because we've dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, and we're just so much hot stuff, you know. But it's because of what Jesus did and what Jesus is doing in us. He sees us through the blood. Amen. Immeasurable, unlimited, and surpassing greatness of his power in and for us. The Message Bible says, Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy. You know, when you get past 60, that's, I'm glad that's in there. Endless energy. Boundless strength. Endless energy. Boundless strength. I'm not looking for a nursing home. I'm looking for an opportunity to serve God. <clears throat> I'll say that again. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. And verse 20 says, all this energy issues from Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Keep the power working in you. Ephesians 3.20. And that power will work without. Hope, glory, and greatness is the destiny of every one of you who are a child of God today. This is not what God says you're going to get or going to be or going to have. This is what God has already said is yours. And right now, we're not praying to get these things what we're praying is that, Lord, open our eyes to help us see it from your perspective so we can take advantage of what you've already done. Hope, glory, and greatness is the destiny of every child of God. But for us to experience it, we've got to see it from God's perspective. And that's what revelation knowledge is about. Think about this for just a moment. God saw Abraham as the father of many nations before he had ever fathered a child. He saw Jacob, the supplanter, the swindler, as Israel, the prince of God. He saw Gideon, the coward, hiding from the enemy as a mighty man of valor. 
He saw David, the little shepherd boy that people weren't paying much attention to at all, as a king. He saw Simon Peter, the petulant, you know, open mouth, insert foot type of person that Peter was in those days. He saw him as a rock. I think it's interesting. He changed Peter's name years before he needed to be what he became. And he saw Saul of Tarsus as the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest voices for Christianity that's ever walked the earth, who around the whole world people are quoting him to this day. Little old, they tell us probably a little short, bald guy. Makes me feel better. <laughs> Not much to look at. But our world changed because of what he wrote. You see, none of these people became these finished products until they too saw what God saw. So my question to leave with you this morning is this. What do you see? I mean, figuratively speaking, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? When you look at your life, when you look at yourself, what do you see? What do you expect? Do you expect to get always the short end of the stick? Do you always expect to be dissed? And insulted? Do you always expect to be hurt and swindled and cheated? Do you always expect to uh, have just one mess after the other? Or do you expect God to move in your life? I'm not saying you'll never be insulted. I'm not saying you'll never be misused. I'm not saying you'll never be uh, disrespected. But I am saying this. If you know who you are in Christ, it sets you in a different path than the world is on. And there may be haters, and there may be the little, you know, uh, ankle biters. But they can't stop you from the destiny that God has planned for you. Destiny's not decided. We don't decide what we want to do or be. Even your children, I hope that you don't teach your kids the foolishness of the modern day. Well, you can be anything you want to be. I mean, really? Really? I'm glad my parents didn't tell me, you know, you can be an NBA forward. <laughs> Just keep on working at it, son. You'll be there. Or, you know, just keep on taking those classes because one of these days you will be a mathematician. <laughs> no, no. Remember, hope is about something possible. Hope. <laughs> <laughs> Hope is about something that God is willing to make happen in your life. And so, what do you expect? Begin to expect what God has said to you and over you and about you. You can do it. And I'm not just trying to hype you up. And I'm not just, this isn't a motivational talk, as I said earlier. But you really can do what God said you can do. But you're going to have to see it from his perspective and if I may add this as we close you're going to have to say it yes. and you're going to have to anticipate it enough to plan for it if God's called you to ministry and you never open your Bible you're not going to make it if God's called you to, to a certain area of business and you don't know anything about it and you're unwilling to learn it and you're just going to say you're going to trust other people to do it all you'll never make it 
If you want a great marriage, you need to get in the Word and find out how to be a great husband or a great wife. If you want to raise children, you need to find out what does the Word say about raising children. If you want to, uh, to, to have plenty of finances, you need to find out what does the Word say about money. I mean, you get my point. You change your expectation when you have revelation of the Word of God. And Father, we do pray today. And I come into agreement with my brothers and my sisters in this place and those who might be watching, hearing online. I come into agreement for all of us, Lord, that we would be granted the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Father, may the eyes of our understanding be enlightened that we will know the hope of your calling upon our lives, that we'll know revelation knowledge about the riches of the glory of your inheritance for us, and that we will know, have revelation insight into the greatness of your power toward us who believe. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at your right hand, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that's named. That same power resides in us. It has moved us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear Son, the kingdom of light. It has transformed us from death unto life. It has made us a righteous new creation in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, open our eyes to see these things. I ask for this in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed for just a moment. You might be here and you say, Pastor, I need a start in that direction. I don't know Jesus, or I've known the Lord, but I've just not been living for God. I'm not walking like I need to walk. I need to repent. I need to get rid of some baggage. I need forgiveness. I need cleansing fresh and anew by the blood of Jesus if that's you and you want me to pray with you now and we'd love to be able to minister to you further even after this service is over and help you as best we can in your journey with Jesus if that's you lift your hand we'd like to pray with you pray for you anybody in the room no hands in here but if you're home and you're watching and you want to contact us we want pray with you. Just say, God, please forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus died for me as my substitute. He became what I was so I can be what he is. I can be righteous. I can be accepted before the Father. Forgive me and cleanse me of my sin, I pray, and I take Jesus and I confess him now by faith as my Lord and my living Savior. And I'll serve you, Father, all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anybody in this room that needs healing in your body, I'm going to ask you just to stand up. You don't have to come down front, but would you just stand? It's just, a, it's just an act of faith. Thank you. Anybody else? You're just saying, I'm believing God right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All of you are standing. Thank you very much. Father, oh, 
speak life, I speak healing, I speak deliverance over every person standing in the name of Jesus. We believe the power of God is going into their bodies from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. Every vestige of sickness and disease, every symptom must leave their body now in the name of Jesus. Satan, take your hands off God's property. We exercise our authority and we draw upon that awesome and great power within us and we say our bodies are healed, they are whole, they are well, they are strong now. In Jesus' name, receive it. Let's all thank God with these. Stretch your hands to heaven and thank God. Hallelujah! Hallelujah!